Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Okay. Hi, my name is Kevin. I'm a sexaholic, and I'm your leader for this meeting. Our topic is ongoing recovery and maintenance. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. Serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Can I remind everyone that this is a tape meeting in the spirit of the 12th step? The tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our speaker, Harvey, who will share his experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic. Uh, We will now, and then I'll get into after Harvey concludes some of the preamble about how the format runs for sharing your experience with a tape meeting. So without further ado, Harvey. I want to make a disclaimer that I can't say my name in 10 minutes, so uh, (laughs) do not be surprised. And I'm also blind on one eye now from in recovery, so I'm not going to see him be able to go talk (laughs) necessarily. Um, But then again, if it shuts off, it will be 10 minutes. If not, we'll see where we go with this. Um, Because... um, I don't prepare for my talks. Uh, I was told by my sponsor, you don't prepare for talks because you've been preparing for them all your life. You merely do your experience, strength, and hope. And then before the talk, I hit my knees and I say, God, you talked for me. So I really don't know what's going to come out. I have some things I want to share at first, but then we're going to go into recovery maintenance uh, more directly. But I'm going to share with you the indirect aspect of recovery maintenance because I'm going to tell you what I needed to do today. I was up late last night sharing with people. Uh, I guess it was 1.30 in the morning before I got to bed, and um, got up early and I've been sharing uh, one of the meetings I went to I was the uh, kind of 
the moderator, but the speaker never came. So I spoke and uh, on the subject of rage. And um, then I start speaking some more. And then there was this particular person I was speaking with, and when it was over at about 3.30, I felt terrible. My brain was speeded up. It felt like I had a hangover. And this thought hit me. I gave away more than I have. And it's a very bad feeling when that happens to me. I'll never forget the first time it happened. I was at a conference and I must have spoken for about eight hours. It was one of these summer weekend things. And when it was all over, I called my sponsor and I said, Jess, and I started to cry. And I said, Jess, I think I gave away more than I have. Because anything I'm sharing with you is merely what someone put in me. My sponsors, the meetings. I'm a sick person. And it's very easy to believe when I'm sharing that I'm well. Especially when people are coming up to me saying, what about this and what about that? And then I forget that I'm sick and I give away and give away. And all of a sudden the thought hit me, how are you going to share at five o'clock you're giving away more than you had? And I got scared. So there were all my stuff. The fear, the hangover. Uh, all of a sudden, so the thought hit me because I was leading doing one of these at the 345 meeting. And my brain's all on overload. And I get to the meeting and I don't think anyone, I don't know if they came, but I said to someone, I'm not well enough right now. I need to go take care of myself. And I said, the panel will have to introduce themselves. And what did I do? I went up to my room to rest, except in the elevator or whatever this thought hit me I could ask that guy to have sex with him in the room where did that come from <laughs> I mean what, where did that come from I'm not going to have sex with someone if my ass falls off today <laughs> I've made a two way contract today I'm not going to act out today I don't want to act out today I don't care who came up to me today. I'm not going to act out today. Can't guarantee you tomorrow, but today. So where did it come from? I was empty. That's where it came from. Because it never dies. The disease never dies. 
It's just laying dormant, waiting, patient. So what did I do? I went into the room, except I had lost my key. So I couldn't go into my room. And then I said, but you're not well. You need to rest, lie down, do your readings. You need to go do your readings. And um, what are you going to do? And I decided to go listen to Roy to get fed. So I go and I listen for a few minutes. But um, I don't have patience hardly to sit still anywhere in general. But I'm listening a few minutes, and then it dawned on me. You need to call your sponsor, dummy. (laughs) Go call your sponsor. And I called my sponsor, and I shared with him, and I returned some of the sponsees' calls who have been trying to get me. And the thought then hit me, go to the front desk, because I'm not carrying my wallet. And my thought was, how can I get into my room? They won't do who I am. And I went and I got my key. They gave me one. And I went up to the room. And I did my readings. And I lay down for a few minutes. And I washed my face. And man, I could go on a few more hours. <laughs> okay? Yes. Yes. That's my continued recovery maintenance. And what is that recovery maintenance? The same thing I did 23 years ago. The fact that I've been sober 23 years do, does not change the tools of recovery maintenance for me. I need to do the same thing today I did back then. Because if it worked, why am I going to change? Okay, It's that simple. This program is so simple, most people don't get it. <laughs> Tremendous amount of relapse in this program. And when you ask people, they have it all figured out. They know it's because this happened or that happened. The reality is that it's a very simple program. All I have to do is not act out today, even if my ass falls off. And that's the expression in Nashville, guys say over and over again. You know, one day... A few years ago, you know, my wife has been through stuff with me only you all could imagine. (laughs) And she's walked through it all. But a couple of years ago, my tooth, the dentist screwed it up, and they had to take the front tooth out, and they couldn't get it back in fast enough, and it's my usual Saturday morning meeting. And my wife said, I'm not going to see you anywhere without your front tooth. I mean, this looks ridiculous. And she's, you know, she was ready to divorce me over a tooth, I think, if I went out in public. And I decided to go to the meeting. 
my essay meeting. And they go around the room. And I said, by the way, I'm not going to act out today, even if my front tooth is out. (laughs) (laughs) And they all knew what I really said, you know. Uh, I'm going to try to quicken this up by saying, what is recovery? Okay, We can't talk about recovery until we talk about sobriety. Now, most people in this fellowship think sobriety is only not having an orgasm to masturbation or to acting out with someone other than your wife. And so what happens is they wonder why the recovery is not coming when they're still spending their day in sexual fantasy. You know, in our fellowship, you could be a voyeur, stand in front of a window, watch some woman get undressed, get totally aroused, and say, I'm sober. <laughs> you haven't had sex with self or sex outside your marriage, in quotes. Or you could spend the whole day either looking at pornography or on the internet or videos or in your head. Your whole day you could spend in those motion pictures. So how does one talk about recovery until you talk about to thine own self be true? What does Roy mean? And I can't talk for him. But what does he mean? What does it mean to me? His term, progressive victory over lust. And true sobriety is progressive victory over lust. Until we as individuals confront that concept of progressive victory over lust, it's difficult to talk about recovery. And what does recovery mean for me? It means that when my wife does something that I can't stand and I use that ugly tone with her, that even though I'm not saying it, I've said to her, You are nothing. You're awful with that tone. Recovery for me is to be able to say, Nancy, I make an amend and ask your forgiveness for that tone I just used with you. Okay. Now it's not for her. Nothing I do works if it's for her or my children. It has to be from me. You know, I, I talked about it last night when I used the analogy or the uh, you know, little story of when I am jogging and it's a very hot day and I walk in the house and I'm all sweated up and my wife says, go take a shower. I get hacked at her. 
How dare she think I smell and I need a shower? I mean, how dare she? But if I'm jogging and I smell my own stink, I can't wait to get into the shower. No one has to tell me. For me, recovery is smelling my own stink and saying, I can't stand it one more minute. God, take it. Take it. I'm powerless over this. Take it. I don't want it. Recovery has been a tremendous event in my life. You know, it's... um, uh, nothing I've ever experienced is like it. Yeah. Or else I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be coming here. Why am I here? Because part of my recovery is that if I don't give it away, I'm not going to be able to keep it. You know, this program is so full of these recovery paradoxes. It's only by surrender do I win. It's only by giving it away that I keep it. These are unbelievable. It's only by dying that I'm born to everlasting life. I have to die within. Each one of those pieces have to die within me. And it's such a battle because nothing wants to die. And so each surrender is another battle to be willing to let that peace in me die no matter what the consequence. To experience living without what I thought I could would die without my sex addiction. You know, someone reminded me of what I said, how I once said at a conference, If this program worked for me, it could work for a dog. (laughs) (laughs) Recovery, and on this statement I'll end because I... I, uh, Recovery for me is acknowledging that I will never get a sensation quite like the sensation... I get when I'm acting out. See, I never lie to myself. It's like a heroin addict or a cocaine addict saying that's not one of the most unbelievable sensations they've ever experienced. I acknowledge it. But through my acknowledging it, I say, okay, that's an apple. I need to talk about getting some wonderful experiences from eating a pear and say I'm allergic to that apple for better or for worse even though that feeling was great I'm allergic to it what about the pear and that pear among everything else that I get that quiet excitement that unbelievable feeling of recovery has something that encapsulates it all. And it's that my higher power watched me 
in every porno, every peep show, every time I masturbated, every time I was promiscuous, every time I had a thought that was an insane thought, he watched me do every one of those things I did. And he loved me so much, he brought me to S.A. And that awareness that I have something today better than that sensation, if I remember it, because a spiritual life, as I said last night, is just like riding a bicycle. If periodically you're not riding the bike up a hill and you're only coasting on that bike down, you'll lose the muscles in your leg. So periodically I need to go through periods where, hey, it's a struggle to believe, it's a struggle for this, struggle for that. But today I'm able to say, God, take that thought away. Take that thought away. All this spiritual talk I'm talking is worthless if I'm acting out today or acting in. So sexual fantasies are not acceptable in my life today. When I get a fantasy, not a a photograph, all of a sudden I'll look at someone, I'll see them naked out of nowhere. I'll see it or in a sexual position. That's my photograph. As Jess, my sponsor, used to say, Harvey, the first look or thought is from God. The next look or thought is on you. It's what do I do with that photograph? Do I use my rubber band to block it? Do I say, God, whatever it is I'm looking for in that thought, may I find in you? Whatever it is, or do I feed it? And in my program, I don't feed it because I am so ill that there is no guaranteeing once I take that first drink where it will take me to. So my recovery has the joy of not living in sexual fantasies as well as actually not acting out today. So thanks. I'd like to hear from you about how you do your recovery. And I'm going to do what I did this morning, whether it's politically correct or not, and whether I'll get in trouble for it. I'm going to request at first who wants to share and come up for anyone who'd like to share who have 10 years or more of sobriety. Anyone in the room would like to share with 10 years or more of sobriety? Anyone with five years or more of sobriety would like to share Yes, please. <coughs> and you could go anywhere. Also, for anyone who's thinking about coming up, I'll leave this chair open so you can come up and get ready. And we're going to go down the list for maps of years so everyone can get a chance to share. But we'll start in the solution. Yes. Uh, my name is Lynn. Hi, I'm a, hi, I'm a, a very gratefully recovering sexaholic. In this program... I'm sexually sober um, six years and nine and a half months. Thank you so much for what you said today. And I just need to acknowledge in front of you, I suffer from giving more than I have. And the last uh, four months have been a terrific struggle for me, and I didn't 
I, I felt like I was getting slapped up the side of the head with this. And, and you, you nailed it today. I, I'm, I'm giving away more than I have, and I'm not taking care of myself. And um, I need to do that. So thanks for letting me say it. Thank you. 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 Thank Coming up 11 years, I couldn't get my hand up fast enough. Um, Ten years ago, I was at a conference down in Florida, and I'd been working on steps, just gave my first step to my sponsor. I was with my wife, and I asked Harvey, uh, I don't seem to be getting complete victory over my resentment and anger, and he says, are you making your amends? And I said, yeah, I'm making my amends. He said, what about with your wife? And I said, yeah, most of the times, you know, when I'm feeling angry or something, I'm able to surrender my right to communicate it to her, so I don't have to make an amends. He said, how long have you been married? I said, well, I don't know, 25 years or something. He says, and your wife doesn't know when you're angry? He said, if you have a bad attitude or a bad mood, she knows you have to make amends. And to come here, you know, 10 years later, and get that that's exactly where I am in my recovery. My wife is also in recovering. She's getting healthy. And the healthier she gets, the less she'll put up with my disease. And that, and that particular attitude is one she's really hammered me on recently. She says, you know, I don't, I don't like li- living with that kind of attitude. You putting me down and making me feel like that. That's not the kind of environment I don't want. I don't want to live in that environment anymore. And it's a blessing that she has that clarity because I don't like my own stink and I don't like it either. And left to myself, I don't have enough strength to recognize how uh, painful that is for her and how destructive it is to my relationship. Uh, but with the program and with that kind of support and with God's giving me a willingness to surrender that, you know, my life is getting better. So I haven't made any progress in 10 years but uh, in terms of my attitude, but, well, I have. I'm, I'm, that's not true. It's a circle that goes around, but it seems like a spiral that goes up. So I hit the same attitudes but I'm dealing with it from a different place, and that's been a blessing. So thank you, Harvey. Thank you. I'm Tom. I'm a sexaholic. Hi, Tom. Uh, I've been physically sober since October 5th of 97, and while I didn't think I had anything to share, I figured maybe I did have some ESH to share. Thank you. Thank you, Harvey. I never had never met you before, but I've heard a lot of positive things about you. So um, glad to finally meet you in person. Um, for me, I'm in the second time through my steps, and um, while this isn't a t- tenth step thing per se, it does have to do with the eighth and the ninth step, and it relates very strongly to giving too much of yourself because that's something I do. I can give. It's a lot easier for me to take care of everybody but me. And one of the thing I think one of the hardest amends that I have to make this next this next time I do the ninth step is the amends to myself. I'd rather make amends to everyone else but me. Because somehow or other in my mind I'm not worth it. And this is something that I need to work on. Um, and as far as recovery and the step work is concerned, it's kinda like an onion. You keep peeling, there's many layers, and I get frustrated both in therapy and when talking to my sponsor, says, I feel like I should be over this by now. I said, Well, there's more to it, you know. At 40 years old, there's still a lot of stuff to peel away. So, 
Um, thank you again, and thank you for letting me share. Hi, I'm Yossi. I'm a sexaholic. I call myself a grateful, recovering, narcissistic sexaholic. Um, I need to say that every time to hear it myself. Thank you, Harvey. Um, by the grace of God, um, my I was fatherless growing up with a, a capable, functional father. But in recovery, God has given me a father that I could rely on and count on. And not only by creating him the same way I did my father, not being able, not calling him every few months, but he's also my father because he cares for me and I care for him. And it's been Harvey. Um, since the moment I came into this fellowship, Harvey has filled my place of dad for some reason. And I feel very close to Harvey in lots of different ways. And if Harvey, Harvey taught me one thing, um, he said it again today. And I hear it every time I speak to him. He said, if God loves me when I was in and out of those theaters and when I was in and out of those shops, wherever I was going, he loves me today. And as a sexaholic, I'm the biggest, I'm my prosecutor, my judge every second of the day. And I'm, if it's not perfect, I'll criticize myself for it. So I'm not good at that witness stand, but I know I have a loving God that is. So I don't have to be perfect today. I don't have to be perfect. I know that God loved me coming out of those porn shops. He loves me today. So I'm so grateful. If I didn't learn anything else from Harvey, and I learned a tremendous amount, but if I only didn't learn anything else, that goes with me every day. Because that prosecutor in my head has me hour by hour about something. doesn't matter if it's about lunch or it's about, why the hell did I say that jerky remark to somebody? I'll get myself over everything. But just taking a step back, look what I am today. I'm sober five years by the grace of God. But he loved me every second then. He really loves me now. Thanks for letting me share. I'm, <clears throat> my name is Gaston. Thank you, recovering sexaholic. If I hang in there 24 hours at a time, I will have five years next week. I've been in the program for uh, maybe about 10 years. Uh, the first four or so, I thought I could work it like an engineer with a uh, project without a sponsor. Uh, obviously, it didn't work very well. I did in that time get rid of my uh, all the all the stashes that I had, so I did identify early enough that I could not use all the material that I used, and I defined boundaries and that I could not could not cross. Nevertheless, I did act out uh, not anywhere in the frequency uh, when I was really active in my addiction. In fact, when I was active, I planned it, just like a project manager. I would plan my my next acting out. Which, so I had nothing, oftentimes had nothing to do with the trigger. You know, it was just pre-planned. Uh, what what made me then stay sober? Well, I, I should also uh, clarify, sober from masturbation. I fight lust hits, uh, oftentimes catch myself way beyond what I should with uh, with any for recall or objectification. And uh, 
Uh, but what has allowed me to fight those last hits and to stay sober is connection with God. I've reconnected. I've been an agnostic most of my life. Well, as a kid, I grew up, you know, in a religious Catholic family. But uh, I uh, moved away, and uh, and until I reconnected, and it was this program that allowed me to reconnect uh, and, and, and to fill my day with prayer. Prayer that allows me to uh, to connect first thing in the morning, and then to stay connected as I as various calls come in with my accountability partners, uh, sponsor, sponsees. Uh, that allows me to always keep in mind that God is with me. I carry this image of of God being next to me with His arm over my shoulder. So whenever I have any thoughts of acting out, I just can't do it with this person standing right next to me looking at me. It, it is, of course, imagery that I'm creating, but it is very powerful for me. Um, so it allows me to work one day at a time. It is frustrating to me that I still have so many lust hits every day. Uh, but I know that uh, the addiction, uh, you know, it took more than 50 years for me to even start working my, my addiction, to recognize I was an addict. So I recognize it will take a, uh, you know, a few more years before I can uh, overcome and, and really feel progressive victory over lust. Thanks. 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 Four, four years. Three years. Talking the mic. Yeah. Can you talk in the mic? What? In here. Can the mic in here? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hang on. Do they have to hear me? <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Chip. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi, Three and a half years today. Um, yeah, I was thinking as as we were talking about years, you know, and I was thinking about three and a half years. When I was a little child, I used to say I was three and a half years old. <laughs> I'm in my 50s now, and, and I always try to say last year as long as I can. <laughs> and I don't worry about the half years. Um I was at Greensboro last year and, and heard you speak, and um, it took me back uh, to early in my AA days, uh, Chapter 5, Rigorous Honesty. Um, I have to know what I am recovering from. I have to know the little nuances, and I paid people good money to help me figure that out. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm grateful for those people. It, it worked. And, uh, I came out into SA and, uh, back into my other recovery programs and I hit the ground running like a scald dog. I was scared. I spent 37 years of active, uh, addiction, offending behaviors and, um, hurt a lot of people. Uh, today, I go to more conventions because I hear more about lust-based discussion. In my fellowship at home, we don't talk about lust-based recovery that often. It's a young fellowship. And, um, you know, I talk about the drive-by thoughts. And my objective is to not let them park. (laughs) 
And you know what I'm talking about. You're laughing, right? Because you've been there. You know, I get that fog in my brain. I get that tingly sensation in my body. And I've got to run for my tools right then and there. I've got to whoop out the toolbox. And the earlier that I can catch those thoughts and keep them just drive by, the better recovery I will have for that moment in that day. And um, the rigorous honesty is, is a huge part of that when I get locked up inside my head. I pick up the phone. I call my sponsor. Uh, Maintenance-wise, uh, I'm very active in service work. Uh, I work the steps myself. I work the steps with others. Uh, I chair a step study meeting. I'm constantly reminded of where I came from. And that's something I can never forget. But... Um, as time progresses, uh, I'm, I'm finding that some intuitiveness as a result of the work is starting to slip in occasionally. And, you know, the things that used to baffle us, uh, it's a beautiful thing, and these are the types of positive things that I'm looking for that keep me going. I like that. I love that. I love the connection with my wife. I love the connection with all of you. Um, I think I've, I'm finding the real connection one day at a time. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sandy. I'm a sexaholic. In eight days, I have nine years. Anyways, I found that when I uh, first came in recovery, I didn't really understand it. I came into recovery in October, and I got sober in January. And I didn't really understand it because I was never in any other program. And um, when I was in rehab, I realized that I needed to be sober for me, not for my wife, not for my kids, and I had it, I had it be for me. I'm a little compulsive, so that became my mantra. And I had a... I had to do it for myself, not for anybody else. And I had to let the ducks fall into place. That was a little selfish of me at the time, but for now things are really good. It's, it's, it's a blessing that I could say to my daughters who are adult now, I'm going to a meeting tonight. Great dad, go. Have a great time. You know, we know you need this, you know, and, um, it's encouraging that I could go do this and I feel shame about it. And I have a very close relationship with them. For me, my ongoing maintenance is, okay, nine years. I still go to three meetings a week, maybe two and a half average. Um, I <clears throat> do service. I have sponsees. I talk to sponsor or sponsee on a daily basis. I, I, you know, I need to work the program because I feel like I'm a fish swimming upstream. I stop swimming for a minute. It sweeps me back, and I don't want to get swept back to where I was before. Thanks. God bless you, Harvey. Um, I used to be jealous of Harvey. And uh, hi, I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Steve, a grateful recovering sexaholic. And Harvey has given me so much that 
you know, I'm, I will eternally be grateful. And, and Hari said something, if God was liked me and through all that, he must be hog-ass wild about me now. And that, uh, <laughs> that has stayed with me all the time, that who I was before. But the main thing, in, you know, for my recovery was when, when Harvey shared about sometimes you have to take care of yourself. I thought it was my job to take care of everybody else. And, and I would, you know, whatever you give, you got back and everything like that. Um, and I thought that whatever I th- said was so important and it would make so much difference in other people's lives. And it's such a nice place to be to just relax, let go, and realize God created the world according to his design. He did quite well before I came in the scene. He's going to do quite well that I'm not there, and everybody else is going to do just fine. I just have to let go, let him do what he's been doing so well for so long, and just smile and be happy, and I'm happy. Thank you. Hi, I'm Steve. I'm a sexaholic. Hey, when I first came in, I've, I've never seen you before. I'm like, excellent, Harvey speaking. I heard so much about you. And uh, I was like, because um, I wanted to sit there and take away from this. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of tapes and a lot of CDs. And uh, to see you in person, to hear you and soak you in and your recovery is just amazing to me to sit in the back of the room. Um, you know, for me right now, um, I'm trying to keep it really simple. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of professional help. I've gone to a lot of meetings. Uh, and in the beginning, it was all that deep, deep searching to find out what made me a sexaholic. I mean, that's really, I was looking for someone to blame. I mean, that's what I was doing. Uh, I blame my parents. I blame my upbringing. I even tried blaming my wife. I, you know, I had every excuse in the book. And what I've discovered is by working the steps and listening to a lot of people, um, I'm a sexaholic because I started acting out in 12 and I loved it. And it took me out of myself. That's why I'm a sexaholic. That's what did it for me. Um, And I love what you said about keeping it simple. I got to keep it simple. You know, I got to get up in the morning. I got to read my daily reader. I got to pray. I got to ask for progressive victory over lust that day. Um, I got to call my sponsor. Uh, I'm sponsoring someone now. Um, I got to talk to guys on a daily basis. I got to surrender lost triggers. And to be quite honest, I mean, what I was doing before in my active addiction was much, much harder than this. It took up much more time. It made me feel much worse <coughs> for a very, very, albeit small and explosive, feeling. Right? But the work I had to put in to be an active sex addict was astronomical, like I'm sure most of you can, can relate to in this room. And what I'm asked to do now is those simple things, you know, trust God, clean house, help others. That's really not asking a heck of a lot. Um, and that's why I'm really, really trying to keep it simple. And I'll pass one thing along that helps me with progressive victory over lust now. And where I am is that I was talking to a guy in AA, actually. Um, and we were actually talking about this disease, and he's kind of discovering about this disease. And... Um, we were going over some stuff, and he said, well, Steve, you have to ask yourself a couple of questions if you have something that you want to do and you're not sure it's the right thing to do. Um, he said, you know, ask yourself, would God approve? Would your sponsor approve? 
would your wife approve? And uh, I had to pass that along because that happened to me on Tuesday. And now when I get a lust hit and I want to go into fantasy, I'm like, none of those three would approve. <laughs> I said, my, none of them. You know, so uh, especially the wife. <laughs> so if I want to come home safe tonight, I'm going to use that. Uh, so that's it. Thanks. I'm Mike, a recovering sexaholic. Hey. Um, my maintenance program started uh, really, as far as maintenance, probably in the last six six months. I've been in recovery two years. Um, a lot of stuff's gone on in the first 50 years that uh, it's caused uh, a lot of difficulty in my maintenance. I have uh, a wonderful spouse that uh, has supported supported me through this. Uh, think of all kinds of reasons, even in recovery, why. Why she could have uh, could have left, and I think that uh, my marriage is kind of a laboratory, if you will, for for my recovery program, and my struggle, even is with all the maintenance and the tools, with readings and uh, CDs. Um, my struggle in my maintenance is boundary issues. That uh, this is. Uh, this is my program. Uh, when we came up here, I almost felt like I needed to bring a U-Haul behind it to bring uh, bring all the recovery material, CDs and so on. And you know, one thing that I, uh, that I struggle with is this is surrendering, uh, surrendering such a uh, keynote uh, to our recovery program. When I think about, uh, I, I travel an hour a day uh, to work, so. I'm listening to CDs and the religious programs and, and when, uh, for about two hours a day and I get up pretty early and, and my, my surrendering starts at, at five o'clock in the morning with a prayer. Uh, I fix a big cup of coffee and when I cross, uh, the Aranaman Dam in North Carolina and see the sunset and it may be just when the coffee kicks in that I know that my higher power, I've had about 30 minutes to, uh, to plan my day and how I'm going to surrender things. And the day is wonderful. And when I, when I come home, uh, where I really start surrendering is I get, um, here's a, here's a book you need to, you need to look at and, uh, or I found a new CD. And then when I, we get in a car and travel, um, uh, I've already listened to a lot of stuff. I wonder sometimes when when do I get a break? Uh, and I realize that some of it's boundary issues. But where I've, I've what I've gotten close to in the last few months is the fact that when I surrender what my spouse is doing, um, I need to look at it as to why she loves me and it's. Uh, even though I may consider it a maintenance, uh, I know she's doing this for me, just as I know my higher power has guided me here uh, into these meetings. Thank you for letting me share. One year, 
or under. Hi guys, LB, sexaholic. Hey, LB. Hey, LB. Um, I know it's really helpful for me to hear um, just sim- a lot of people talk about simplicity. That's very helpful for me and very specific things. So I just wanted to say, to share what I do um, pretty much every day uh, that, that works for me as far as what I think of when I hear the word maintenance. Um, I get up and I hit my knees first thing and uh, say a number of prayers, usually starting with a serenity prayer and contract with God not to um, indulge in lust or obsession for that whole day um, and surrender my character defects, the ones that I've found out about so far. Um, and then I do a number of readings from uh, the big book and a, a daily reading, and I talk to, I usually talk to at least one person a day, sometimes, you know, on a, on a good day, three or four, um, and uh, am, am usually, well, always surrendering, um, saying prayers all throughout the day, uh, especially with lust hits and, and obsession, you know, about everything and anything. That's a big one for me. Um, and I go to a meeting whenever there's a night in our in our city where we have a meeting. I'm one of those, like uh, the other guy said, is a very young, small fellowship. <clears throat> and uh, and then at night before I go to bed, I get out um, the white book, 12 and 12. No, sorry. The white book, the big book. Um, and two others that I'm losing. Oh, two, um, other, uh, fellowship books. And I read like one page from each of those and I do step work for about 10 minutes. And I had to do it every night for me because when I tried to do it like for an hour every week, I just always came up with something else to do. And someone just suggested doing a tiny little bit every day. And so I do like maybe one question or something. And I found that I just progress right along in my step work. And that really works for me. And then I do a gratitude list. And, uh, and then I surrender my lust as I go to sleep to ask, ask God to keep it out of my dreams. And, um, and, and then I do it over. And that works for me. That's, that's my maintenance. I just wanted to pass along specifically because that's helpful when people do that for me. So thanks. Uh, Tom, recovering sexaholic. Uh, I'm a little nervous, plus I have bad balance, so if I fall, somebody pick me up. <laughs> okay. Fall that way. I think where I'm at in my recovery is just setting boundaries. The I've always had trouble just setting boundaries with anybody. I have a very, very hot temper. And unfortunately, when it comes out, it's like a lot of people. Nobody understands what, what's really going on. And usually, I'm the only one who knows what's happening. And typically, if I explain something, then things get more confused. So it's, a, you know, it's like a basic flaw with people. It's communication. And a lot of times, I think uh, this fellowship is based on communication and um I think the a main reason I started acting out was I basically lived in no reality growing up. And what I mean by that, I had a, a dysfunctional family. Um, I had um older brother with multiple mental problems, severe mental problems. And I was just very confused, I think, growing up. I had high expectations put on me. 
and I had a family of very, a very intelligent bloodline, and the expectations were overwhelming for me. I just lived under a fear of failure uh, most of my life, and I was definitely loved, but I just could not, I just felt inadequate and unworthy. Um, so I'm never quite sure where all that came from, but I know that's what I was thinking inside. So when I, I basically tried to move on with life, and I realized I was a person who wanted to be liked, I wanted to be accepted. Uh, so I, I ended up going in the field, some sales work at times, and I definitely had marketable skills, but I didn't realize what I was doing. I was just, I wasn't even being myself. And a lot of times I go through life, I think I have a work face to put on, I have an essay face, I've got all these different faces I'm putting on. So I can see it's just like in the big book. I'm a, I'm a good actor. I can, I can fool a lot of people. And that, I think, is the heart of a lot of my problems. Um, I do believe in a higher power. I have trust. I've grown a lot of strength in SA, and I've, I've met a lot of strong people that have helped my recovery. Uh, the biggest thing is this, the, the grace of God has carried me as far as I'm at, and, um, Maintenance, it's a day-to-day -day program. I can't do it. I can't project. If I project, I'm going to fall back. If I think back into the past, I'm going to fall back. And I can see that it's it's uh, constant hard work. And for me, it, even though I've heard Harvey say it's a simple program, for me it definitely is not simple because I like to analyze. And uh, I realize... I mean, you can always look at the opposite. If I'm fearful, I can have faith. If I have no hope, I can have hope. Depression, hope. So, I, I mean, I'm smart enough to figure this out, but the next step after that is the willingness to take the action. And if I don't have that willingness, I'm not going to go anywhere. I've, I've had plenty of relapses. I've been in SA over 10 years. I don't... I don't even remember when I started, but I know it was in the 90s. I'm pretty sure it was the mid-90s, and it's truly amazing because I remember the first meeting, and there was just me and one other person, and that person I never see anymore. So it just shows me that this is a program for those who want it, and if if I want it, I can, I have a shot, but if I don't want it, there's no shot. I mean, really want it, so... That's it. My name's Don. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hey, I've got about six months sobriety. My first meeting in the fellowship was June 20th. My sobriety date is June 15th of 07. I came into SA because on the morning of June 14th, the FBI walked out with my computer and the agent looked at me and said, get help and I managed to find my way into the program. For me, this has been a very simple program, not necessarily easy, but certainly simple. I read the sobriety definition. It's very simple. I don't masturbate. I don't have sex with anybody other than my spouse. I'm sober. I have to get progressive victory over lust. How do I do that? It's been very simple for me because I haven't had to figure 
anything out in this program. It's all been laid out for me. I went to a meeting, and there was a guy at the meeting who said, you know, I was in this program for years before I got a sponsor, and I never got any advancement in the program until I got a sponsor. So I said, I'll get a sponsor right away. (laughs) Someone else said, you know, I never really took it to heart, that praying for others thing. I don't understand, I didn't understand it, and I never got any help until I started praying for others. So I said, I'll start praying for others. I didn't know how to do it. I'd never done something like that before. And what I just wound up doing is I just started praying for people that I resented and extending the serenity prayer to them. Now it takes me about 10 minutes to go through the list of people that I'm praying for, and it's not all resentment. It's just everybody that I feel like praying for. And someone else said, I didn't get any help until I started working the steps. So I said, I'll start working the steps. I'm on step four right now, hoping to do step five this weekend. I've got a little urgency because my matter may be coming up soon and I don't have a lot of freedom left. So I had to call my sponsor and say, gee, let's move this along. This has been, this has been a very simple program for me because I haven't had to think because it's my own thinking that got me into this program. One of the best tools of recovery that I had was in the Yellow Practical Tools booklet. And it talked about, am I making a lust-based decision, or am I taking the next right action? And every time I make a decision, I have a decision to make, and I check myself along those lines, I've managed to make take the next right action. I've had some incidents early on in my sobriety, euphoric recall, masturbation, not to orgasm, things along those lines that were in my progressive victory over lust that at the time I felt didn't justify resetting my sobriety date. But there are things that I did then in August, July and August, that if I did now, yes, I would no longer consider myself sober. I'm very grateful for the tools of the program. I may be going away for a long time, but my head is clear, and I have all of you to thank for that. Thanks for letting me share. Between what you shared, what that man shared, that's all there is. That's it. It's that simple. The getting up in the morning, the doing the routine. By the way, I still go to between five and six recovery meetings a week. I was told by my AA sponsor years ago when he had 25 years of sobriety, he said, I need more meetings today than I did when I first came because not only is my recovery progressing, my disease is (laughs) progressing. And so I need more, not less necessarily. And if I have nothing to do, I say to myself, why am I not at a meeting? And I just go to another meeting. And that I, I don't like to read. I'm dyslexic. I do exactly that. I read one page a day 
of a recovery book, one page a day of a religious-oriented book. Do you know how many times I have read the AA book and the essay book by just reading one page a day over 23 years? I have read those books a lot of times. <laughs> one day at a time, one page at a time, and it only gets better. That's the guarantee. I'll end with this one since we talked about God and being hog-ass wild about us. My sponsor would also say, we spit in God's face. He merely pulls it off and hugs us even more. And that's the God today who is letting me hear all this stuff again so I don't forget it. This I have a forgetting disease. And if I don't hear it and say it frequently, just like how I had to learn the multiplication table, if it's not repeated, I forget. So thanks for letting me remember and have a great conference. Let's, let's close. Let's close with uh, the third uh, with the serenity prayer. God, grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, so work it if you're worth it. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.